Please turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Uh, my name is Morgan Lusk. I am the associate pastor of youth and families here at HPC. And uh, I get to preach to you as a part of a two-part series on church officers. Robert spoke two weeks ago on elders, and it is my privilege today to speak to you on deacons. Youth pastors and deacons have a special relationship. Uh, quite often, deacons must... Uh, fix broken windows in the fellowship hall, or deal with ceiling tiles that have been crushed into oblivion by dodgeballs, and you have the youth pastor to thank for that. There's a lot more to a deacon's calling, though, than broken windows and ceiling tiles. The role of a deacon is high, and it is a vital calling in the church because it reflects the servant leadership of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you will, picture for me just for a second when Jesus washed his disciples' feet. That was diaconal work. It was a work of servant leadership. So as we come to the word today, keep that in mind, that that's what we are driving at, a picture of servant leadership in the church. Hear now the word of the Lord from Acts 6. Verses 1 through 7. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists rose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the, final, the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip and Prochorus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenas and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Pray with me. Holy Spirit, it is our desire that you would move among us this morning to help us to understand your word. Open our hearts to the word. Open our hearts to believe the gospel afresh and anew, and I pray that it would not just be belief, but that it would be faith in action that we would see as a result of hearing your word. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, simply put, if we, if we look at the need for deacons in the church, you can say that it is all a part of the need for the preaching and teaching of the word so that the nations would know Jesus. That is the grand plan. That is what we find if you look at the beginning of Acts. In, in Acts 1 verse 8, Jesus tells his disciples just before he ascends into heaven, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Jesus has called his apostles to spread the gospel everywhere through the preaching and teaching of the word and through the ministry of prayer. And that is 
job number one for the church then and now and into the future. But with the preaching of the word, with the good news that Jesus binds up the brokenhearted and and comes to make all things new, with that good news comes needy people who respond to that good news. Jesus attracts needy people. He attracts the spiritually needy, first and foremost, because we are all spiritually needy. And he attracts the physically needy, who many times have a better understanding of their spiritual needs because of their physical needs. And the needy are precious to Jesus. We can see this in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, where he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Because Jesus attracts the needy, because he finds them to be precious, we also see that his church will attract the needy. In fact, the church is commanded to be merciful to the needy. This is uh, in Luke 6.36, we see this, be merciful even as your Father is merciful. And so because the church is going to attract the needy and because we're commanded to be merciful, we find ourselves often doing some challenging and messy work. Because the needy aren't perfect. They're far from it. The needy may not respond well to our help. They may not even want our help. That may frustrate us. But it is the will of Christ to show them the love of Christ. Because again, we are all needy, and he has shown us his great love. And so this is the core business of the church, to preach the word, to make disciples, both here and abroad, and to care for the needy along the way. Now, in Acts, as the gospel advances... The disciples in the first few chapters are able to handle this on their own. They're able to handle all of the core business, it seems, by themselves. As we look to Acts 4, verses 33 and 35, there in your bulletin, it says, And with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them, and brought the proceeds of what was sold, and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each, as any had need. It seems there that the apostles have a good hold on this, but once we get to Acts 6, we find the demands of mercy ministry become overwhelming, because there are simply more people. The gospel is going forth in power through the advancement of the Holy Spirit, and now different people groups are coming in, people who speak Greek, not just speaking Aramaic. And some of these widows, the Hellenist widows, became ignored or overlooked for whatever reason. And this is not right. As we've already seen, Jesus desires that all who are weary and burdened come to him and find rest. And so the apostles had two choices. One, they could cut mercy ministry out altogether and just focus on preaching and teaching and prayer. Or two, they could get help. Sadly, many churches choose the first option. They choose to cut mercy and to focus only on preaching the word. This is unfortunate, and it's also hypocritical. The Bible has a category for churches who cut mercy ministry out altogether. James 2.17 
says that faith without works is dead faith. Mercy is always a fruit of our faith in Jesus Christ. If you look again at Acts 4, it says the apostles testified to the resurrection of Jesus with great power. And the result of this was that great grace was upon everyone. And the result of this great grace being upon everyone was that there was not a needy person among them. Now can you imagine what that would look like in our community? If there was not a needy person among us because the church responded and met all of the needs. This is the, the outworking, the outflow of a heart that has been changed by the grace of Jesus Christ. As Tim Keller puts it, if a person has grasped the meaning of God's grace in his heart, he will do justice. The apostles had spent three years with Jesus. If you think again, back to John 13, when Jesus washed their feet, he commanded them to follow his example, to do the same among themselves and in the community. And I believe that when the King of Kings washes your feet, and then tells you to do that for others. Cutting mercy ministry is not an option. So, they choose option two. They get help. In verses three through five, they find seven men who are the first deacons. They delegate the responsibility of mercy ministry to these men. Men who are full of good repute. Men who know the Holy Spirit. Men who are wise. But how, how do we know that this is the beginning of the office of deacon? Because I don't see the word deacon in chapter 6. You probably don't see it either. Well, there's a couple things. First, if you look down in verse 6, it says, They set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. This is, this is Bible code for commissioning or ordination. This is what uh, we will do. If and when we elect new officers, we will have a service uh, where they will be ordained and installed, and we will lay hands on them and pray for them as we commission them to their work. And so we, we find that the deacons here are ordained to a special office. Then the second thing is if you look at your, your text, there are three instances where it uses the word serve or service or something like that. Verse 1, it says serve tables. Uh, verse 2 uses the word ministry, and in verse 4, it uses the word, uh, what is it? Uh, verse 4 is ministry, verse 2 is uh, serving tables. And all, each one of those instances is a form of the Greek word diakonos. Diakonos, and that's where we get the word for deacon. It means to be a servant or to minister. In the verb form, it means servant or service in the noun form. And it's interesting because this, this word is used quite often in the New Testament. Um, one, one of the most important times it's used is in Mark 10, 45, when it says that Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That word again is diakonos. We'll talk more about that later. But if you notice, the word diakonos is only translated as deacon several times in the New Testament. Philippians 1.1 is, is one place where it says 
Paul writes, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers or elders and deacons. And then later on in 1 Timothy 3, where it lists the qualifications for deacons, the word is translated as deacon. And so in, in both of these instances, we find the word diakonos aside with the word presbuteros, which is the word for elder, being together like that in conjunction communicates that these are both church offices, special offices ordained to the work of the Lord. And so these are not just servants in this case, they are servant leaders, they are deacons who work alongside the elders but are also submissive to the elders in the church. And it all begins with this commissioning that is in Acts 6. And that's a bit about why we have deacons. I'm sure we could go into a ton more. There are whole books on this subject. But what about the work of the deacon? What does a deacon do? Maybe you think that a deacon counts money, moves chairs and tables, and fixes leaky pipes. And that's it. Maybe you think that a deacon is a proving ground for becoming an elder, that it's a stepping stone where you have to kind of serve your time as a deacon and then once you do well and you've got enough years behind you, you get to be an elder. Well, deacons do care for our building. They do oversee our budget. They do count money. And these are all extremely important things in the life of the church. And they work really hard at doing this, but that's not all they do. And yes, some deacons will become elders, but this is not a stepping stone. This office is not one you use just to become an elder. The two, in fact, have different gift mixes, and some deacons will stay deacons because that's what God has gifted them to do. My dad was a deacon for over 15 years in a PCA church in Florida. He had no desire to become an elder because that's not how he was gifted. And there are some who will go straight to being an elder because that's how God has gifted them. So what do deacons do? Well, the text gives us a hint. It says in Acts chapter 6 that these deacons, the first deacons, were originally called to wait tables for widows. Now this is a situational thing. If that was the calling of the deacon here in Hickson, then that's what they would do, but that's not... That's not all they're called to do. This is a, a broader precedent that's being set here. And, and really, here is the definition of what a deacon does. A deacon does whatever it takes to free up the elders of the church to do their jobs of preaching, teaching, and praying. Whatever it takes. And usually that means mercy ministry, first and foremost. Again, this is core business of the church. So what does that mean? A couple of hints. Matthew 25, 40, Jesus says, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Galatians 2, 10, Paul says, Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. And then James 1, 27, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God is this to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Mercy ministry includes all of those things and much more, and it may look different depending on the context. In HPC, a lot of the mercy ministry looks like collecting and overseeing and distributing the Good Samaritan Fund. 
It's a fund that we are collecting today, in fact, or have collected, and we use to care for members in the church who are struggling or, or members in the community who are struggling. Mercy ministry looks like caring for the homeless when they show up at our doorstep and they truly cannot care for themselves. Mercy ministry looks like working with the food bank, collecting food boxes for those who are hungry, uh, helping those who are in financial crisis get education for how to do things as simple as create a budget for themselves. It looks like responding to disasters, like when we had the tornadoes come through in 2011. Um, It looks like caring for widows, doing things as simple as yard work or home repair that they simply cannot do for themselves. It looks like caring for orphans, getting involved with foster care. The list is endless because the need is endless in our broken world. But this would look different in different contexts. If you were go to... To go to a PCA church just in downtown Chattanooga, it might look different. Downtown, we find a more, uh, a higher rate of homeless population, a more ethnically diverse population, and so the need is different. If you were to go to China, you may find that the deacons are forced to do most of their work secretively, underground, because that's what the church works there. If you were to go to a war-torn country, you might find that the deacons are on the front lines of sheltering refugees and even caring for the wounded. The point is that wherever they are, whatever the church context, deacons are called to show Christ's diaconal love and servant leadership so that elders can teach Christ's love from the word of God. The result in this passage and throughout history is what we see in verse 7. Again, it says, The word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. With the preached word of God and the gospel partnered with mercy ministry, you have the two marks of the unstoppable force that is Jesus' church. And Jesus says, the gates of hell shall not overcome it. Now this does not mean that we leave all service and mercy to deacons. Every Christian is commanded to serve. Every Christian is gifted to serve. And it also doesn't mean that deacons aren't allowed to to teach or to share the gospel with people as they serve. A couple of great examples of this is that The very first deacon mentioned is Stephen, and it says in Acts 6-8 that he was performing miraculous signs and wonders. He gives a sermon in Acts 7 that is so powerful that everybody wants to kill him, and in fact they do kill him because he is such a threat to the Jewish authorities. He is the first Christian martyr. The first Christian martyr was a deacon. Philip, also mentioned in this list, is the same Philip who is later transported to another place by the Holy Spirit. What a crazy experience that must have been, being just picked up and put somewhere else. And he does, the Spirit does this so that Philip will share the gospel with the Ethiopian eunuch. You can find that in Acts chapter 8. So deacons may also be called to share the gospel. This is part of the reason why when we 
do officer training, we train deacons the same way we train elders in theology, in the word, in the book of church order. But, you, but deacons are uniquely called to be out in front of the congregation as servant leaders. That is their main focus. And as we see listed there in your bulletin under the PCA Book of Church Order 9.2, says that deacons are, develop, are called to develop the grace of liberality in the members of the church. This means that they are to be leading the charge of mercy ministry, teaching others how to do mercy ministry, giving others opportunities to be involved in mercy ministry, bringing others along in that core business of the church. Again, that is a brief summary of what a deacon does. There is so much more. They work extremely hard. Much of it is behind the scenes. Much of it you don't see. But you don't truly get the picture, the big picture, of the role of a servant leader on the diaconate. Unless you can also see the high calling of the deacon. I mentioned earlier Mark 10.45. I wanted to look closely at that passage, actually starting in verse 43. It says, But it shall not be so among you, but whoever will be great among you must be your servant, and whoever will be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. If you'll notice there, I put in parentheses the three times when the word servant or serve can be translated uh, as deacon or to deacon. The Greek word diakonos. Now in this passage, uh, you, may, you may remember the, the sons of thunder have just asked Jesus, Jesus, how can we be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Maybe they think Jesus is going to say, well, go out and do some miraculous sign, walk on water, something like that. But he tells them to deacon. He tells them to serve. I'm not sure that's the answer they were looking for. You know, the world, the world we live in thinks that to have a high calling, to, to be a leader, to have success, is when you have many people serving you and you don't have to serve anyone. But Jesus, in his kingdom, it's an upside-down kingdom. He says the highest calling is to serve, even to die for those you serve. This is why the calling of the deacon is so high, is so important, because, again, it reflects the diaconal work of Jesus Christ. There's a quote there in your bulletin from George C. Fuller. He says, All that a deacon must do must be based on the diaconal ministry of his Lord and Savior. Our ministry of service is possible and is required because Jesus came in the form of a servant. Deacons will be fully engaged in serving others. Because Christ is fully engaged in serving others. And so a deacon will need Christ-like leadership qualities. I've listed some of the qualities, uh, the qualifications of a deacon there in 1 Tim Timothy 3. 
be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. He must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. The wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. He must be the husband of one wife, and he must manage their children and their households well. And it says, those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. But why? Why these qualifications? Why why must a deacon be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy, etc.? You could point to many reasons why Paul lists these things, but I believe that the main reason is because, as a deacon, you reflect Jesus and his work in your interactions with the needy, first and foremost. You are called to lovingly care for the needy without taking advantage of them. You must patiently care for the needy even when they frustrate you by not responding the way you think they ought to to your service. There's a reason why they are down on their luck. and Quite often that means they will frustrate you. But imagine, for a second, if you will, imagine if Jesus were impatient with us when we sin. This is a challenging role. It is a high calling. And deacons must look to Christ to sanctify them for this role. Because again, the needy are precious to Jesus. And how we respond to the needy is of utmost importance. Woe to the church that ignores the needy. Woe to the church that actively works to keep the needy away. This is what we find in Matthew 25. Deacons, we we need you to lead us into that diaconal work of Christ. Because it is not our default setting to reach out and get our hands dirty with the needy. We need you to help us recall how Jesus responded to our spiritual neediness. While we were yet his enemies, while we lived in sinful rebellion against him, he died for us on the cross. Our need far surpassed the physical. We were dead in our sins, and we needed to be made alive. No chance of doing that on our own. That is Christ's ultimate diaconal work. His death on the cross, him taking our sin upon himself and giving us his righteousness in exchange, is Christ's ultimate work of servant leadership. And deacons, you reflect that work when you lead the church in service. And so this is a high calling. It is a calling to be Christ-like, yes. All Christians are called to be Christ-like. But it is more than that, a calling to lead others in Christ-like service. To lead others in setting aside earthly fame and power 
to lead others in setting aside recognition by men. To lead others in the church in dying to ourselves. If you'll flip over with me just real quick to Acts 7, verse 56. I mentioned earlier that Stephen, the first deacon, was apparently so dangerous to the Jewish authorities that they decided to kill him. And as he is beaten to death by rocks, in verse 56, we read, And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened to the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. This is the only time that I see, I may be wrong, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think this is the only time in the scriptures when Jesus stands at the right hand of the Father. Usually he is seated. I will point out once again, if that is true, and if this is the only time that Jesus stands at the right hand of the Father, he does so for a deacon who has given up his life in martyrdom. Deacons, we need you to lead us in sacrificial service. We need you to do this so that the word of God might increase. And so that the number of disciples might greatly increase in Hickory. Pray with me. Our Father and our God, we are lost without you. We are needy beyond anything we can imagine. And yet at our low point of neediness, you responded to us by loving us, by sending Jesus to die for us. I pray, Father, that we would respond to this by responding to the needy in a similar way, by showing them Christ-like love. I pray these things in Jesus' name.